0: The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us, our services are Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We would love for you to be our guests. We hope you consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting the donation amount to 907 341 Four, two, one, three. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Good morning, ACF. Eleven o'clock service. Awesome. You guys packed the house. I love this. I love this. I'm Danny Vinhouse, and I'm going to be bringing the word today. Uh, I'm one of the elders here at, at uh, ACF, and uh, soon to be on staff in about a month. And uh, yeah, well, thank you. I'm excited. I am really excited. So. Uh, but before we get started, I want to have like a yay God moment. We had uh, baptisms over the last couple of weeks, so hopefully you guys were, were here to see all that, and maybe some of you guys were in here that were baptized. Uh, when we started a couple of weeks ago, I'd said on a Wednesday night that we had about four baptisms, and I was like, you know, God, it'd be really cool if we could have 40 baptisms over these next two weeks, 40 baptisms, and I thought that'd just be awesome. So the last day, the last Sunday we had, last Sunday, we had 39, and I was like... I was like, that is so cool. And then we, I had counted wrong, and the number came back. It was actually 40. So God is so awesome. Let's praise Him for that. It's really cool. Yeah. So 40 baptisms. And, you know, me, I love baptisms. And I love serving when people are doing it, and I'll just hang around just to see people come out of the water. You get some people that come out, you can tell they're, like, freezing, especially when the water, by the second surface, it's really cold. They come out, and they're like you know but then the then you have the other people that come out and they're pumping hands in the air and praising God and you just see this joy on their face that they are just happy to be professing Christ to you guys to the public and that is just really cool so if you haven't got baptized we'll have baptized baptisms in the future so make sure you're looking out for those if you want to do that so so the last few weeks we have been going over a series called Blind Spots, and we've been working through the uh, book of Ephesians. And we talk about blind spots, uh, and in particular about our identity in Christ. And when I was thinking about blind spots, when Brian brought that up, I was the one that always jumps out at me is the blind spot when you're driving, right? You got the blind spots on either side of you, and it's always something you always got to look and make sure that there's something not right there in that blind spot before you change lanes. Well, Back a few years ago, I bought an 04 Chevy, and they, have, they already put the little blind, blind spot mirror in the corner, It's a little curve thing. And it's, it's kind of annoying, though. It took me a long time to get used to it because I'm sitting here looking at it, and you can see cars coming up in the big mirror, and then they're all in the little mirror, and then they're back in front of you, and you just—and you're, you're just like, man, this is really freaking me out. I can't get used to this. I don't know where this car is at, right? And I think that's the way it is with blind spots with us sometimes is, first, it's hard to acknowledge we have them. And then second, it's hard to make sure that we see them in the right perspective, that they don't get in, that we see them for what they are, and they don't get in the way of the big picture. So that's what I think is a, is a blind spot. One, on a personal example, though, uh, I used to work in ConocoPhillips, uh, downtown Anchorage, in, a, in the office, and I had an um, office that was where two halls came together, and they went into the elevator lobby, so it had a lot of traffic go right by my office. And I'm, I'm one of these guys, I'm an engineer, and I'm just focused. You know, I'm sitting there on my computer, I'm tapping away, doing stuff, and I hit the print button, boom. I spin out of my chair and I go launching out of my office because the printer was down the hall. And invariably, I had a number of near misses, almost taking somebody out as I walked into the hall. But well, one time, I didn't have a near miss, I took a gal out. She had a cup of coffee, spilted, and, uh, and everybody was making fun of me, they said we need to request building maintenance come up and put one of those curved mirrors outside of your office. So we can make sure that you and somebody else knows you're coming out of that office. And for me, that's, a, that's just a funny example of a blind spot that, uh, that I have. So today's message is, can we know God's plan for us? Can we know God's plan for us? And we're going to do this a little bit differently. I'm going to do this in the context of the gospel. Because the gospel wraps up our identity, but also kind of hints at, or doesn't hint at, it tells us, what God has planned for us. The word uh, gospel comes, it means good news, but it comes from the word "you anglian, which we get the English word evangelical. And the reason we're going to talk about it in the context of the gospel is most of you may think, well, I've heard the gospel. I know what it is. It's about Jesus Christ being saved from his sins. But I think a lot of times is that we don't understand the complete gospel of what it's all about. And it's all centered around Jesus Christ. And we need to have that understanding so we can go tell the world. We need to give the complete picture to the world so they can have hope when they don't have hope. And so as a church, we need to understand that so we can take it out into the world. So before we get started, let's pray, and then we're going to jump into Ephesians. Gracious Father, thank you for just another great Alaska day. Spring's coming on us, and we just get to look forward to summer and the sunshine and the fresh air And uh, I just pray, Lord, today that we just come in and uh, we just have a, just take a fresh look at your word, Lord, and that we put away distractions, we put away anything that happened this morning, this weekend that might just take us away from you and focusing on your word, Lord, that those would just be put in the back of our minds and that we would just uh, be open to your word today, open to it, that it would change our hearts and and, uh, to make us the more look like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, <clears throat> okay, guys, so if you'd open up your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible, there's ones in front of you. You can look on the ACF app. There's a Bible app in there, or download one. Uh, I use you version. It's the one that I use, and uh, it'll be in ESV. That's, the, that's what we have in the Bibles and uh, in the ACF app. So uh, we're going to give you a little bit of context, though, first for Ephesians. Brian's talked a little bit about this, but Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul, Uh, He was in prison at the time, and he wrote also Colossians and Philemon and Philippians at this time. It was about 60 AD, and he wrote to the church in Ephesus, which is a port on the western side of Turkey on the Mediterranean, so northwest of Israel. So that just kind of paints a picture to where, to the place, and who wrote it. the letter most scholars believe that was written was highly circulated around to the churches because it only it only claims the entitled to, to Ephesus at the very start. So this one was more than likely was circulated to many of the churches, and it has a lot of foundational truths in it. So you can understand after you read through Ephesians, that's why it's, we feel it's a really important book to bring out right now. It's because it does lay a lot of groundwork for our faith. So without further ado, we're going to go ahead and read 1 through 2. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and then we'll start breaking it and unpacking it. So, And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passage of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to start with the first three verses, and I'm going to read that back over again just to kind of emphasize some of the terminology and the words in there. So, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passages of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So that first part there is you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So when it talks about this being dead in our trespasses, and we are set apart, completely separated from God. We are dead to God. We are dead to him. And we are just walking in what we know is around us and our sin and our trespasses. A couple of years ago, we had a series for Easter. that was called Walking Dead. Who, who in here is a big Walking Dead fan? Okay, there's a few, okay. I, me, I, I, I kind of watched a little bit of it, my wife loved it, and uh, she was an avid watcher. But I never could get past the fact when you get, you're you sitting there and you're walking by, all you hear is this, uh, all the time, and it just drove me nuts. I couldn't, so it's like, I never could go watch it because it's like, well, half the time it's just these guys walking around just making these weird noises, right? You know, but I kind of but it kind of when we did the series for Easter, it kind of made a a cultural context, made a lot of sense (laughs) is that when we're separated from God is we are kind of like walking around like zombies. You know, zombies just want one thing. They just want to eat. Right. And we have desires, too. We just do what's good for us. You know what? What makes me happy? What satisfies me? That's what I'm going to do. So we're kind of like that when we're separated from God. We're just walking dead. And I just love that. It also calls us sons of disobedience, which is pretty strong. And then the last is children of wrath. And uh, children of wrath, if you want to pop that picture up there, Brandy. So so this is not what it's talking about. It's not talking about angry children. Now, we all, if you're a parent, you have angry children that probably are like this sometimes. And I have a 12-year-old. When I see this, he's just like this. Ever since he was tall enough to like punch and swing a fist, he's always been hitting on me. And he's getting to the point now where he's starting to hurt a little bit. So I don't know how much longer I'm going to be going before I'm going to have to shut him down because he always lives to hit me right in the kidneys. But, but uh, no, what this is talking about is not angry children. What this is talking about God's wrath on us. So we're dead to him. We're sons of disobedience. And we're just children that his wrath is on. So not a pretty picture, is it? It is not a pretty picture. Psalm 51 tells us that. 51.5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. In sin did my mother conceive me. So, And Paul talks about in verse 3, we all once lived there. So from birth, we all were there. We all. I was there. You were there. We were all there. And then it goes on to talk about what are the things that influence us when we're we're separated from God. There's three things that it talks about in there. We're going to talk a little bit about them. One is the world, the world around us, how it influences Satan, the next, and then our flesh. The three things that influence, that have a lot of influence over us when we're separated from God. So when it comes to the world, what is the world? The world is the culture around us. It's the standards that society sets and it may be a little bit different if you're in the U.S. and maybe a little bit different if you're in South America, Japan, wherever that may be. It's the culture around us that sets the tone for some of the things that we think are okay. And when I looked at this, you know, in our U.S. culture, what are, what are some of the things that the world says that are okay but God says are not okay? And at the, the two or three of them that come to mind for me was the sex, money, and freedom— and when you know when you look at sex, the world says you can have sex with anybody, anytime, anywhere you want, kind of mentality. And God says, No, that's not my plan. I created sex. I have a I have a beautiful plan for sex. And you know, for me, that is it's like, yeah, it's like I sexual sin, that's me. I don't know about you guys, but in the past for me, that was the world was strong for me, tempted me in that area. Very strong. Um, how about money? How about money? The world says, have a lot of it, do everything you can to get as much money as you can, and then turn around and go buy a whole bunch of stuff. My question for you guys is, when you buy a whole bunch of stuff, does the stuff own you, or do you own the stuff? Who owns who? That's the question I always have to continue to ask. If you've ever been to my house, i got all kinds of junk and crap. (laughs) So I have to constantly remind myself, it's like, does that stuff own me, or do I own it? There's a Merrill Lynch survey that came out for millennials that said that 40% of millennials have unmanageable debt load, 40%. So who in here is over 40? We've got a young crowd. No, there's very few. (laughs) So mostly it's millennials. So I looked at this and I was going, wow, you guys got to get me through my retirement. You guys got to help me get through all the medical bills that are coming when I'm 95. But... I also know that my generation has not done a great job of this either. So the world says, hey, get money, buy wherever you want. That'll make you happy. That'll satisfy you. Max out your credit cards. And what about freedom? Alaska. I love Alaska independence. Do you guys love Alaska independence? That's one of the reasons why I like it. I love the people up here. Independent-minded. If you step on my property and I don't know you, you're going to be met with a gun and possibly a dock. Are both, right? That's the way Alaskans love their property. They love their independence. And I love that because there's it's people that it's like they want to pick themselves up by the bootstraps and they want to get her done kind of mentality. And I like that and I appreciate that and respect it. But at the same time, as part of a, a subculture of the American culture is, well, my freedoms are really about me. It means I can do whatever I want when I want, as long as I don't cause harm to anybody else. The problem with that is that who defines harm? When you're outside of God, man has to decide what is harm. And then that all starts breaking down. So what what does the Bible say about about freedom? Here's a verse out of 1 Corinthians 10.23. And this is Apostle Paul as well saying, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So in God's economy, is the things that we look at when we decide what are freedoms is like. Am I building people up? Am I building myself up? Am I helping those around me? Am I helping myself? That's a a completely different picture from what the world says. Okay. So that's the world. So now we're going to move on to Satan. A lot of times when you say Satan or the devil, the world says, rolls their eyes back in the back of their head, and goes, he's just a cute guy in a red suit with a pitchfork. He's not real. He's just the boogeyman. It's not real. It's just superstition. You know, it's not even the the real thing. He doesn't exist. The Bible says, oh, no, he does. And Jesus does. He was there in the garden. He was the first one to tempt and to lie. And then he was there for Jesus in the the desert with Jesus, tempting Jesus. 1 Peter 5.8 says he prowls like a roaring lion. So who has uh, seen the new um, Lion King? Or not the new Lion King, I'm sorry. No, the new Jungle Book. Wrong story about a lion, or tiger anyway. Okay, I haven't seen it yet. I just remember the old cartoon watching it and the, and the movie that came out years ago about it. But I don't know if you're a Kipling was a Christian or not, but uh, Shere Khan in Persian means, Shere means tiger or lion, and Khan means king in Persian. And his whole thing about this is is he wants to kill Mowgli, right? But I always remember his voice is this kind of syrupy, crafty voice, you know? And I think of that in the context of what it says here. The Bible says he roars like a lion, like Satan roars like a lion. That's why he's crafty. He's deceptive. He's not going to come up like a lion when a lion attacks its prey. Does it just walk up to it and just knock it down? No. It gets down low. It sneaks up on its prey and it prounces on it before its prey even knows it's there. And that's what Satan is like. He prowls like that. We don't even see him coming sometime. And he puts lies. He wants to tell you that you're not worth God's love. I'm not worth God's love. You're never going to overcome that sin. You're always going to be that same way and nobody is ever going to love you. And that's what Satan wants to tear us down. Even the secular world is seeing that there's something beyond just man's sin or man's fallenness. There's a guy named Andrew Delbanco. He's a secular scholar at Columbia University. He wrote a book called Death of Satan, and here's a quote from there. He says, A gulf has opened up in our culture between the visibility of evil and the intellect to deal with it. The result is we don't acknowledge radical evil. And he said, Rationally, we cannot attribute anymore these social ills to social conditioning or psychological problems or deprivation or upbringing or whatever. When you have genocide and holocaust going on and young girls being taken away from their villages and sold into sex slavery, they can't explain why man would do this. There's an evilness that can't be explained. And that comes from Satan. And then, third thing is passions of our flesh passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and mind that's the third thing that influences us and you develop habitual sin through that i do i've got habitual sin i was 31 when i became a believer and i still had all that stuff that was in my flesh all those patterns of habits that are there that just keep wanting to come up and they're going that's how i used to get my used to get my kicks you know so I was an engineer for 28 years in Phillips. 28 years, I went into an office, did a little stint on the slope. But 28 years, I drove in every day and went to the office. And when I decided to resign and Brian offered me a job here at the church, I said, Brian, I go, I need three months off. I need three months where I can just like reset. I can walk away from that, walk away from all the habits I had, how I dealt with people, and I know good and bad ways how I dealt with situations, how I responded when I was, if I was defensive, whatever it was, I knew I had patterns that I had to develop to protect me, and I did not want to bring them to here, and sometimes what you have to do is you have to stop, and you have to sit back, and you have to take, reassess where you're at, and that's what I wanted to do, and I tell you what, it's been, it's been tough. I don't know about you guys that are retired, but it's not easy, so I've been, I've been out of work, I've been out of work, so I can say I'm unemployed for two months now. And uh, it's interesting. Is It's kind of like you feel like you won the time lottery. You know, when you win the big lottery, everybody calls you about wanting money. Well, now it's the time lottery. It's like, hey, he's got all kinds of time. He's retired. So I found myself really busy and really tied up. And so what I've learned to do is I've had to exercise the no muscle a little bit. And just go, no, I can't do that. You know, I mean, I've got the rebalancing of my life right now. But it's been good because I think I've seen now that I'm changing my routines and hopefully changing my habits to where I can come here with a fresh perspective. And so, these are areas of influence before we know God, but they're still areas that can attack us when we when we come to Christ. Satan's going to tell you that no, you're not worthy just because you think Christ, you're in Christ. No, not really. You're not worthy. The world says, oh, you don't need all that stuff. we got all the glitz and glamour that you can get all the satisfaction from. And then you have all the flesh that keeps telling you, I want to go back to what I used to do. I want to go back to what I used to do. So the main point is here is that the gospel is acknowledging you were dead. First thing in Ephesians, the acknowledgement that you were dead. You're separated from God. So now we're going to move to verses 4 through 7. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You see those first two words in there? We talked about in the first three verses, you're talking about Sons of disobedience, child of wrath. You just go about your own way, do your own thing. Pitiful, right? But then, there's a shift. But God. This is huge. But God. Rich in mercy. But God. Not what we do. God's going to take over now. And this is a big deal because it tells us that we have hope and we have a God that doesn't give up on us. Even though we are turned away, we go about our own way, God has not given up on us, and he's got a way. He's got a plan. And it tells us a little bit about God's identity too, right? It says, God rich in mercy because of his great love. And in his kindness, he's going to show us riches of his grace and kindness towards Christ. So he's merciful, he's loving, and he's kind. Those are attributes of God. He just doesn't show them off every so once in a while. They are a part of his being. And he's going to to make us a part of that. So you get this, guys? We're shifting from what we were doing, and then God steps in and goes, no way, I've got a better way. I have a better way. In verse 5, it says, even when we were dead, even when we weren't thinking about him, God has started a plan. Even when we were dead. So in the past, he's got a plan. Even before you and I were born, God has a plan. And verse six, he says, "Made us alive and seated us with him." Now he's talking about today. Right now, when you accept Christ, you're made alive again. You're not dead anymore. And then verse seven, he says that in the ages to come, now he's talking about the future. So you've got past, present and future. That sounds like a plan for, doesn't it? Does that sound like a plan? It sounds like God has a plan. He reaches into the past. He's in the future. He's in the present right now, and he's got a future for you and for me and for the church. Brian had talked about in the uh, uh, chapter one about the exceeding riches of his grace, and it talks about here the immeasurable riches of his grace. And I laughed because I'd heard that at one of the life groups, there was the image was the you know, Brian's talking about buckets of grace, pouring buckets and buckets of grace. And so, one of the guys in life is talking about it, It's like taking a shower, and you're just lathering all up, all over yourself with soap of grace. You're just this water and soap coming down. It's like this, it's like it's lavish in grace. And it says immeasurable and exceeding. It, it means we don't have a full concept of grace. It is so huge. I don't have a full concept of it. I'm waiting until next, till I get to heaven to ask God, okay, show me this complete grace, because I don't get it, because... I'm supposed to be doing something in this, right? Aren't I supposed to be a part of this? God's got the grace part figured out, a gift that we don't deserve. And that's hard to comprehend sometimes, right? So for me, this tells me that God is a God of momentum, past, present, and future. He is a God of momentum. He is a God on the move. God is always moving. And what we need to be doing is looking to see where He's moving. Where is God moving? You know, there's a, there's a lot of wealthy guys out there, as an example, not like the Bill Gates inventors that have come up with a great idea and sold it and made billions off of it, but there's guys out there that are more anonymous that have made a lot of money, and they made it quietly, and all they do is they just lurk around and see where money's moving. Trillions of dollars moving around this place every day, and they just jump in, and they find out where the money is moving, and that's kind of where we, where we kind of need to be. We need to think about looking around at where's God moving? Where's God going? And then jump on the train with him. We had a leadership meeting a, a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about this, about, this uh, about momentum. And we were talking about how you can create momentum or do you want to harness momentum? You want to create it or you want to harness it? And we were talking about seeing where God is moving and then jumping in with him and harnessing it where it's already moving. Because sometimes when we try to create momentum, it's about us. God may not be in it. We're trying to create something that was never intended to be there in the first place. And sometimes what we need to do, we just need to be looking to see where God's moving. And that's what we want for ACF. ACF, we know that there are seasons of change because we know that a lot of people in here, a lot of military people, there's a lot of jobs up here where people come and go all the time. And we need to be adaptable. And we need to be, see where God's moving. And we need to adjust. And those seasons are a good thing. Sometimes they have to change. So the main point here is the gospel is about a God who revives the dead. It's God who's on the move. It's a God who makes the dead alive. And now we get to the high point. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We're going to read this verse in a minute, but when I read this verse, when I was a a couple of years as a believer, all of a sudden my eyes opened up. Because you can see there's, there's a certain order. Like, I'm an engineer. I, get, I, I think linearly, sorry, but that's just the way I work. So when I see something like this, it just really jumped out at me. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So that no one may boast. So you look at it, it says, for By grace. By grace. And God's grace is available to anyone. His grace is available to anyone. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He gave his Son for the world. Anybody. Anybody. But not everyone has faith. Not everyone takes the step and acknowledges that they need Jesus. Jesus that they need Jesus and that it is a gift. It's just acknowledging that, yes, I need Jesus. Jesus come into my life, I need you. And then it's not about works. It is not about works. So the main point is here is gospel is grace-lavished, faith-driven gift of Jesus Christ that you can't earn. Grace-lavished, faith-driven, Gift of Jesus Christ that you can't earn. We play a very little part in this. We play a part in just accepting the gift. God's done all the heavy lifting. Christ has done all the heavy lifting. So, what if we stopped right there? Okay? Got up to the cross, Jesus died, I'm forgiven, I'm going to heaven. Woohoo, now I can just go back to living my life. It doesn't stop there. It's what I call the first half of the gospel. It's kind of like when you go and you're playing a football game and you have a first quarter. It's kind of like the first three verses, you're down, you're behind, you're getting pummeled. The second quarter, though, you get back into your game. You get ahead, and then you go into half, and you go, whew, we're ahead. I can quit now. It's like, no, there's a second half to this thing. There's a second half to this thing, and it's verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we look at that, it's like, okay, I'm saved, then what? I'm saved, then what? I remember I had a, um, a gal at work come to me one time, and this was about 10 years ago, and she said, hey, Danny, there's this guy that I'm really interested in. I mean, we're getting really serious. And uh, she goes, but he doesn't walk with Jesus. And, you know, I've had talks with him, and I, I just, before we get married, before we go any further, I just want to know that he's, he's a believer in Jesus like me. And uh, can you talk to him, to have lunch with him? So I said, okay. So I had lunch with this guy and had no idea what I was going to say. Never met the guy before in my life, but I did it out as courtesy for her. So I talked to this guy and talked about how, you know, Jesus, what he meant to me in my life, what he had turned my life around, and, and how important he was to me. And he just kind of sat there and listened, kind of nodded, he said, and he goes, okay. He goes, he goes, that's good for you. He goes, I don't need a crutch. He goes, I got a good-looking girlfriend. You know, I got my health. I'm athletic. I go out and I hike, I fish, I fly planes, I got boats. I got a great business. This guy was making money hand over fist. He goes, I got great friends. I got friends all around me. He goes, why do I need a church? Why do I need Jesus? And I was like, so I talked to him a little bit more, and we kind of split and went our two different ways. She eventually married him a few years later. I have no idea whether... He came to faith in Christ. I haven't, I just don't know. But I wish what I had done was I'd asked this question and then what? Okay, so you get down, you get married. What if you have a family? And then what? What if something happens to one of the kids? What if your wife decides to leave you? What if all of a sudden you get an accident and you're not athletic anymore and you can't get around? And then what? And then what? Because then that's when you got to start thinking about I'm fallible. I'm fallible and I don't have all the answers. And I wish I'd done that. And here's where the gospel is like when it talks about the first half that you're saved, it doesn't stop right there with Jesus on the cross. He's not on the cross anymore. He's risen, He is alive. And because He is alive, now we can be alive in God. We can be alive. So we have a new identity in Christ. It says they're created in Christ Jesus. For good works. Meaning there's some work to do. There's some work to do. But it's good stuff. It's, good, it's stuff that God has purposed for you to do. He prepared them beforehand that we should walk in them. But here's the other thing. Here's one more caveat. Romans eight twenty-eight through 29 says this, and we know for those that, who, that love God, all things work together for good. We just sang that. You know, we'll sing that in one of the songs here today later on. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. Conformed to the image of his son. So not only are we identified with him now, and he has a purpose for us, we are being changed like him. If you know Christ, isn't that a lot of hope? Amen? Isn't there a lot of hope in that? That I know that, okay, I don't feel good about myself today, but you know what? Christ is going to take me beyond this. Jesus has got a plan, and he wants to take me beyond this. So one of those days when it feels like it's hopeless, when Satan's tempting you, saying that you're not worth anything to anybody, zero in on this. Romans 8, 28. He has a purpose for you. He has a purpose for you. He has a purpose for me. And he wants you to look more and more like his son every day. So one of the words in there is created for you, and we are his workmanship. Workmanship. So I'm going to zero in that word a little bit there. The Greek word is poyama. And it means English, we take our, the word poetry from it. So think about that a little bit. It's a really cool thing. It's for we are his Poetry. For we are his workmanship. And when I think of that, I think it means a more personal thing. It means like you, and like you, and like you, and like me. We all have a story. We've all come from a, a background that maybe it was not so good. It wasn't good. And we were broken. And now we've made a made alive in Christ. We've been made alive, and now we can take that story to someone else who's also suffering in it, and we can help them through it, and we can point them to Christ and we all have a unique story. That's the poetry part. We are created in Christ Jesus, and we are his workmanship. So the main point is, the gospel is, you are a new creation with faith-based works, not works-based faith. You are a new creation with faith-based works, not works-based faith. And this is a this is a great quote from John Wesley, and this was at my life groups where I got this from. Uh, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, and all the ways you can, and all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long ever as you can. Is that a great quote or what? Talking about using that good purpose that God has destined for us, that has placed before us. So I'm going to ask you today. So... Do you have a plan for your life? And how's that working out for you? (laughs) I've had plans for my life and they change constantly. God has a new plan for me all the time. doesn't mean that we shouldn't make plans, right? I mean, we should plan, but sometimes it doesn't work out. And when I look at the church, and we talk about this a lot of times, we talk about the church, the unchurch and the d-church, what we have here in ACF is that we want to speak to people that maybe they've been hurt in the church before and we hope that they can come in there and they have healing and they can sense forgiveness or mercy but then also it's about the, the people that are unchurched if you don't know Christ we hope that you can come in here and feel comfortable and just be able just to sit and hear about him about him who loves you and then also it's that third group of being the churched and I'm going to throw this around for a little bit differently I'm going to put these three groups in you don't know Jesus you believe in Jesus, but just as your Savior. And, you've identified, and the third group is you've identified Him as your Lord and Savior, and you identify with Him. And God's got a plan for everybody. If you don't know Jesus, He has a plan for you to know Him. If you don't know Him today, He wants to know you. He desperately wants to know you. And if you do know Him and you just know Him as your Savior, get this, He has... You are identified with him. You are identified in him. It is a huge deal. Your identity is not wrapped up now in your job. It's not wrapped up in you as being just just a housewife or just being an 18-year-old trying to figure out when he graduated from high school where he's going for college. That's not what he he has plans for you, but that's not your identity. And if you you are the group that understands that, that he has a purpose for you, and you are identified with him, we have work to do too. And it's good stuff. It's a good purpose. It's good works. He's prepared for us beforehand. So the main point is, God not only only has a plan for you, he has a purpose for you. So can we know God's plan for us? We can know that he has a purpose for us. And so when you look at your former identity, my former identity... And my new identity in Christ, first one says, You were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked. And now we have good works that we should walk in them. So you're walking dead, and now you're walking in purpose. And you might say, Danny, how do I know what my purpose is? How do I know what God's plan is for me? And I don't have the answer for you, I don't have a nine step program. That leads you definitely to where he wants you to go. I don't have that. I can give you some examples and some illustrations here to help you with that. That's what we're going to do here uh, as I close. Um, I remember a long time ago that we lived in Eagle River here about 17 years ago, and my wife Carolyn was getting kind of restless. And I was kind of just wondering, what it, why was she getting restless? She just seemed not at ease where we were living and she said I think we need to move there's houses going in around here there's there's lots of people and there's the traffic's getting bad and it just it just seems like we just need to move I don't think this is where we need to be and I was just like I don't want to move I hate moving I hate it I hate dealing with two houses and I hate moving all of the junk we have and at that time we had six kids and we had a lot of junk and they were small kids too and I decided it's like you know what not now not now well A few months later, she comes back to me. She goes, well, she made another stab at me. She said, I was reading in my devotion this morning. Here's what it said, Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And she goes, I think God is calling us to move. So what do you think I did. I didn't have an answer to that. Me, I'm looking at the practical side of it, right? It's like, oh, it's the money to move. It's like all the pain to move. And she's looking at it and going, no, I think God's telling us to move. And so uh, when I look back at it now, she was right. You know, so sometimes when we, we, we want to take the practical plan and we want to move forward because it just makes sense, sometimes God wants us to take a side path that doesn't make sense. But we got to be listening to it, listening for that whisper. And I look back at it now, and we had to put a lot of blood and sweat into this place, this old house. We had to remodel it. We had to add on to it. Spent five years of vacation time and money fixing this place up. And when I look back at it now, it's kind of like you would think that, oh, yeah, my identity is wrapped up in this place. It's like, boy, I can't let let anything happen to it. I'm kind of like, eh. It's like if it burned down tomorrow, as long as none of my kids are in it, or my wife. Um, yeah, I better mention that too. She's not here today, so I can get away with that. But if it all burned down and it was just, was just rubble and dust, I'd be okay with that. Because that's not what my identity is. But I also know that that was the right thing to do. That was the right thing to do. And she was right. And when we talk about a walk... That we should walk in them, that we should walk with the Lord. I'm going to give you a little bit different perspective. I me, mean, I love to dance. I love to dance. I want to hear the first song it gets country western. It kind of gets me up. I'm sitting back there. and I want to start doing the two step. You know, probably don't even know what the two step is, but but I think a lot of times when we walk with the Lord, I think of it as a dance. And here's why: it's when you have a somebody has to lead. When you have two people at a dance, and somebody has to lead, and somebody has to submit. And the person that's leading is the one that takes your hand and turns you where you're supposed to go, avoids you from colliding into other people, sets the rhythm, sets the mood, and keeps you going around the dance floor and keeps you moving. But at the same time, every once in a while he throws in a spin, throws in a twirl that takes your breath while you didn't even see it coming, and you're like, whoo! And then it's like that was so cool. And I see a dance with Jesus like that. But our part is we have to let him lead. We have to submit and we have to let him take the steps and lead us where we're to go. And it's a dance and sometimes you just don't know where that's gonna lead but you have gotta trust in him that he's gonna do it. And he's gonna take you to the best places. So one last illustration I'm gonna show you. It comes out of John 14, 19 through 21. Yet a little while, and these are Jesus' words, Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So here's a little illustration to bring that home. So here's Danny. And you can substitute your name on this envelope. So there's an outside and there's an inside. You don't want to look on the inside. (laughs) But the outside might look pretty might look good but you know what it can be empty inside and then when you ask Jesus to come into your life now Jesus comes to live in you comes to live in you sealed but that's not all in John 14 it says I and you and you and me So now you're in Jesus. And this is what God sees. This is what the Heavenly Father sees. There might be the filthy rags in there, all the garbage that came with you in your flesh, and whatever else you've done. But Jesus covers all of that. And that's what this is what the Heavenly Father sees. You are clothed in Jesus. You are clothed in Him. That's your identity in Christ, people. That's your opinion. If you don't know Jesus today, if you don't know him, this is the hope right here. If you feel like sometimes it's just like, I'm just never going to get through this day. I don't know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. That's where we got to trust Jesus. That is the hope for us. If you're in despair, depression, whatever that is, turn to Jesus. Give Jesus a chance. And we'd love to walk through you, walk with you through that as we close in prayer I want you guys just to remember one thing it's all about Jesus it's all about Jesus let's pray Lord thank you for your spirit thank you for how your spirit moves in our hearts and turns us towards you because we don't have we don't have the ability to do that You turn our hearts and minds to you, and we cry out, Lord, we need you. And you are merciful and gracious and loving. And you will lift us out of the mud and mire that we're in, and you lift us up into heavenly places. That is so beautiful, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that we would submit to you, and you would just lead us, and that we would just follow you out of obedience, because we love you so much, and we know that you have awesome things in store for us. And you're a God that continues to move. You're moving everywhere and that we would just be motivated to jump in with you and just see where you take us. That's exciting, Lord. We want to be excited by where you take us. And I just praise you in this day, Lord, and I just praise you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.